and welcome back to the Kitchen Confidant Podcast. Today, we're chatting with chef and Emmy Award-winning culinary host, Frankie Salenza. You may know him from his hit series, Struggle Meals, and his show, Frankie Cooks. He launched a new, mouth-watering food travel series on Tastemade, Worth the Hype, where he explores local food scenes and community in cities like LA, New York, Austin, and more, airing every Wednesday at 7 p.m. on the Tastemade streaming channel. Welcome to the podcast, Frankie. Hi, everybody, and hi, Liren. How are you? Thanks for having me. I'm so happy to chat with you today, and I always start by asking, what's the first thing that you ever cooked, and about how old were you? Uh, oof. I, it was banana bread with my mother and we just do it over and over again. And I just remember lip, licking the hand mixer, you know, with the raw eggs uh, mm. <laughs> and flour. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That was definitely the first thing. Oh, well, banana bread's a great place to start. I know many families have their own personal banana bread recipe, which is usually very special. So that's a great memory. You had an interesting entry into the culinary world. How did you go from attending NYU Tisch to your start in food? Well, I, I was in a new school in Tisch. Uh, Clive Davis, the famous producer, like opened up a school. And when I went there, we didn't even have a senior class. I was the third class. So they were oh, very much wow. figuring out the school. Um, and we had amazing professors and unbelievable facilities. But just to give you an idea of how quickly the music industry was changing while I was there, I mean, they wanted you to come out of school with a business plan for a touring band or like a record company that was going to make physical CDs. Mm. Uh, <laughs> at the same time, I was studying Italian because I had to do humanities. Um, and I was going to Italy every summer with family. And uh, that was my favorite part of the year. You know, I went on a little boat with them and for three years straight and we'd go from you know, marina to marina, then I'd go onto land with Uncle Andrea and we'd pick food and then we'd cook. And then these other families would tie their boats up to ours. And it, it was so cool. So, you know, I'd come back to school and I'd be making these dishes for my friends and undercutting NYU's meal plan by a dollar. <laughs> so it kind of started that way. But my kitchen happened to face outward. And so like when the seventh friend of a friend was like, you should film this. I was like, I should film this. <laughs> and you did. And I did. So you were still in school when you started producing these shows. Or was this after? Uh, this was actually my final college project. Oh. And they were very upset with me at first. And then eventually they came around. So I did it at the end as a cooking show intertwined with music. You know, bands would come on. We would mm -hmm. kind of talk about that. But uh, even taking it a step further, in a cooking show, you can't taste or smell or, or touch the food. You can only see and hear it. And everybody's really good with the cameras. Nobody does anything with the audio. So I, uh, led by my brother who was at Juilliard at the time, uh, I hired all these Juilliard musicians. And when I had the edit, like 95% of the way there, we'd, we'd go into a recording studio, which is what I studied in school. I'd yeah. open up the computer, watch the cut and literally conduct them to the music. And so you had this very cinematic thing where each instrument, uh, represented an ingredient or an action and, uh, I thought it was great. I thought it was great. still nobody has done anything close to that. Even Chef's Table, they just put on Vivaldi and call, yeah. it, call it a day. Yeah. Um, That's exactly what I was thinking about the Vivaldi of Chef's Table. Like, I love that opening scene, but why don't people do more? Because, <laughs> uh, well, I mean, I guess it's expensive to do that. I don't know. Mm -hmm. It wasn't when they were college kids, but 
you know, it's 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 a backwards way of making it rather than editing to music that already exists. You edit the best it can be, and then you make the music to fit the edit. Um, it was just, it was cool. Very cool. So well, I hope you got started. an A on that. I I got uh, most likely to succeed in the real world, actually, <laughs> which uh, which I was like, nah, there's no way. But here we are. So interesting. And I love how all your talents go together. Well, speaking of talents, you know, I think something that really stood out to me as I was binging your many, many episodes is how you've got really great presentation skills, which I think is probably a natural for you, especially since you're in the performing arts. So, but what, what really makes a difference too is how you're able to explain techniques and concepts very, very well. So where did you get your culinary training? I mean, I'm very much self figure it out, but uh, when I started doing this show, there was French culinary Institute across the street, which is now the international culinary center. Mm -hmm. And uh, I did some like advanced courses there because I started the French culinary thing and and like a weekend I was like, this is going to be too expensive and it's too slow. And I don't know if this is necessarily a great use of my time. Um, And I also had this weird thing where I was like, if I learn how to do it from the professionals, I won't be able to communicate with the people that aren't professionals. So it's better if I don't Uh, know. I don't know if that was me being lazy, but uh, I did like a two week (laughs) Japanese course. I did a week bread course. I did a 10 day charcuterie. I did uh, sous vide and low temp before all these water circulars came out when the only one that existed was the $900 poly science. And then I worked at Lupa and I learned, you know, a ton there. Oh, I actually did the full Krent French. This is a great resource for anybody that wants to learn everything on a, on a budget is you go to ruby.com, R-O-U-X-B-E. And it's the Vancouver Culinary Institute. And I did the full French culinary there. I think I paid $150 instead Mm -hmm. of 40,000. And it is so in depth. Oh my goodness. Yeah. I've heard really good things about Ruby. So that's good to know that you enjoy that. And I think you're right, though. I don't think you were being lazy. I do think you're right that if you teach it to yourself, you will be able to explain it better to the common to the common person. Well, to the non-professional. I mean, to we're the all non-professional. Talking. Yeah, that's <laughs> true. Um, so, in your new show, Worth the Hype, you take your viewers on a culinary road trip to some of the most buzzworthy food spots throughout the country. So, how is it doing like a show where you're like producing in your own kitchen to taking it on the road? Yeah, it's completely different. Um, Struggle Meals is on set in California, but you know, it's it's me and five cameras, and uh, I'm basically talking to myself all day. It is. I have an amazing crew of people that keep me uh, amped up, which is super important. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you take it on the road, it's a whole different thing because every every scene is a, a new environment with new people, and so it really injects a lot of energy into what I can do. Um, it's not always roses. Sometimes people get really nervous with, you know, cameras and boom microphones and everyone that's walking by in the street starts looking and then they, (laughs) you know, they're doing the slate and everything. And I mean, that took me even years to get over. Oh my gosh, everyone's looking at me. It's like, Mm. but now it's just like, all right, this is the job and that's what it is. Uh, but for me, it's super fun. It's super duper fun. It gives me a ton of energy. It's, it's pretty easy to keep the energy up because, yeah, the people in the scene, if you will, keep changing. Yeah. And it's hard to get bored when it changes pretty much every day. It's also hard to get bored when you're meeting such a wide variety of people from mm-hmm. so many completely different places and they're all cooking totally different food. 
Yeah. Yeah. So how do you pick which ones to highlight? Let's start there because there's so many different and delicious places in the world. Like where, where do you start? Well, we got to start with a city. Um, and what we did with this, I guess, first season was we tried to find pairs of cities that were close enough together that we could do one and then drive to the other one. Um, yeah. So that's why you've got like San Diego, LA, and then you got Austin and San Antonio and, uh, Manhattan and Brooklyn. So Uh we, we shot them in pairs. Um, and then once we have that down, you know, uh, if each episode has four locations, then that's eight spots. And we want to make sure that we've got good variety as far as the food goes. And we want to have, we want to be in different neighborhoods. Uh, Mm -hmm. we don't, yeah. I mean, basically it's just variety. And then after that, you know, we'll create a list. I don't do it alone. We've got a team of people. We're figuring it out. I'll pitch some ideas. They're doing some stuff. But, you know, sometimes people don't want to be on the show because uh, right. they don't know what it is yet. Uh, we were fortunate that we shot the L.A. episode first, made a cut, and we were able to send, hey, this is what it's going to be like to San Diego uh, and beyond episodes. That's smart. Um, so that was super helpful. Um, but I think, you know, that we do full season and as we do podcasts like this one. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. People will be pumped. Not that people didn't want to be on the show. I'm just saying not everybody's into it all the time. So sometimes right. the decisions made for us in that sense. No, no, I get it. And I guess, you know, if let's say everyone time is precious is what I'm trying to say. And so when time is precious, everyone needs to make a decision. Like, is this worth my time and effort? And I'm sure it's a lot of work for them to clear out their kitchen so that your crew can come in and et cetera. Et cetera. And, and a lot of times they stay open. So it's, it's now we're slowing them down a little bit. So, yeah. The most intense kitchen was Veselka in Manhattan, which uh-huh. is a Ukrainian restaurant. And uh, it's, it's all, it was like 80% Ukrainian refugee, older women in the basement. And they just crank it out <laughs> so fast. And they were just, they, they didn't care that we were there. You know what I mean? Like if we talked to them, we talked to them, but they're just coming through. They're cutting in front of the cameras left yeah. and right. They're like, we're here to do business. Yeah. It was really cool. Was yeah. Really you're not cool. getting in the way. So <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, I cannot wait to see that episode. How fun. But, yeah. That'll be good. That'll be a fun one. So the first episode, you kick things off in LA um, and you feature Mexican food. And I really found, well, first of all, the Casablanca, the, all the juxtapositions of the, <laughs> the name. And then you've got a calamari steak, which was fascinating. I love the story behind that dish too. I mean, it was, it was super tasty. Uh, yeah, Casablanca is a mishmash of so many things. It's this mm-hmm. famous movie from the first half of the 20th century, but it's also a, a place in Africa. And then they're serving traditional like Mexican food from basically just below California. Um, they created this calamari steak because there were, were religious Jews in the area that couldn't eat uh, a pork chop. And so they wanted to find a, a similar meat that they could, uh, you know, rather than, well, you can't really pound fish. It's often delicate. So it will destroy, <laughs> uh, you know, and then if you bread a meatier fish, you know, it's usually thicker. So you're not getting that sensation of uh, crunch Chew. to meat ratio. It's yeah. like, it's like way too much meat and not enough crunch. So he found this, um, this calamari, this special kind of calamari uh, and they're, and they're able to pound it super wide and bread it and yeah it, it kind of tastes like a filet of sole and then they've got all these sauces mojo de ajo and very interesting i've not seen anything like that that's another fun thing about doing this show is you know i get to see all the creative things everyone's been working on for years and just come in and be like wow 
Right. For you, it's a new thing. For them, it's an old thing. <laughs> right. And for the audience, it's a new thing too. Right. Yeah. It's exciting. Um, I think another one that just had me drooling was the Holy Grail Donuts with their taro-based dough. So, so good. So I got a funny phone call yesterday. I was driving. I have a CSA here in town and I was picking up my CSA and I was driving back and I got a phone call from my high school advisor. Oh, and he what? goes, he goes, Frankie, I don't listen to my voicemail in the office, but I just got a message from you for th from three years ago. He goes, call this number. And I was like, well, Curtis, thank you very much for calling me back. <laughs> and he said, uh, he goes, uh, I watched your episode. You haven't changed at all. It was so fun. My wife and I were laughing. He goes, I don't know about those donuts though. I go, no, really? They're really, really good. <laughs> like it's, he goes, they're supposed to be unhealthy. It's supposed to be dough. I'm like, no, 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 hear me out. That taro root has the same consistency as a traditional donut, but it's got a little bit of tang to it. Mm -hmm. So that creates a lightness that when paired with fry oil and sugar and all these toppings actually like expands what you're tasting. I found it to be so, so delicious. And I wouldn't know that it was vegan or gluten-free to be honest, if I wasn't told. That's true. You're right. It's naturally vegan. I think taro is such an underrated well we're i think people are starting to understand it like i my background is filipinos people are getting things like ube and taro i you know people are like oh it's trendy when it's like well you know we've been cooking with ube for like thousands of years <laughs> but um but what's cool is when people can do really fun things and then other people can appreciate it in a different way and it's like it's a great way to learn more about a culture and food of course is a great way to just share that 100 percent. in san diego actually we went to this interesting dessert place and they had an ube soft serve you know so it was that Ooh, deep, yeah. dark purple and it was very it's a sweet potato right yeah it's like a sweet potato yeah it's just a purple yam technically but and, and somehow it's being turned into all these things that you would not imagine potato being in that right situation. it's a very cool. versatile thing but then you know what people make things like sweet potato pie so if you can yeah if you can can like understand that then you can kind of understand the potential of an ube um cool. so yeah for me when i travel food and inspiration is both the destination and the souvenir so i imagine that as you continue to explore you're probably bringing back so many interesting things into your own kitchen and lots of inspiration so is there anything that you've like incorporated into your repertoire since starting the show? Uh, well, physical things I'm bringing back is I've been trying to take a menu from every place I've been at. And I normally they're sitting <laughs> right over there, but I just brought them downstairs because I was like looking through all of them. Um, I think it could be a really cool wallpaper one day. Just, you know, put them all up and, and laminate it. It could be, it could be kind of fun. Uh, in the LA episode, uh, I just, I just tried to copy the heavy handed smash burger yesterday for lunch. So oh. I made my own heavy sauce and I cut, I took uh, six onions and cooked them down for like four hours until it was like three tablespoons, <laughs> super dark and rich. Um, uh, I found some sweet pickle chips and I found an all Chuck uh, blend, although theirs was Chuck and something else. I don't remember. And maybe that's mm -hmm. a secret. Maybe they don't want me to know. I don't think, I think I'm just more open to like trying different things. I actually mm -hmm. think the wisest thing I could do is get back from each one of these shoots and just try to make the dishes I watch them do. Because mm -hmm. then it's mm -hmm. really, really in my repertoire and mind. And Yeah. Um, well, I'm sure you'll start to crave things over time and say, hey, 
it's my turn to make it. But I also think it's interesting what you said about <laughs> them maybe not telling you what was in the in the dish. So do you feel <laughs> like some chefs might be a little guarded to share their process or the actual recipe? hundred percent. You can't copyright a recipe. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why people make cookbooks. And that's why so many people try to create uh, sort of a story around the recipe because it, then, you know, that's plagiarism if you copy that. Mm-hmm. Um, but we, we shot an episode in Brooklyn and we did all pizza. And before everyone goes, well, how can you go to four pizza places if you're trying to like have, you know, diversity of different restaurants, each one had a different oven fuel source. So we had coal, electric, mm-hmm. gas fired and wood. And uh, there's this pizzeria in Bed-Stuy called Cuts and Slices, and they would not let us into the kitchen. Oh. And he told me on the interview that every employee has to sign an NDA. Wow. <laughs> so there you go. And you know what? He had a line, he and his wife had a line down the block half an hour before they opened. And he's like, there's a lot of people that want to copy this. And I was just like, you are hundred percent right. Don't show oh, us. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's yeah. really intense, but you know, what's smart and good for him. <laughs> sure. Sure. <laughs> so when you've got a, a line out the door, that's pretty amazing. So what do you, what in your mind is something that's worth the hype? Well, you know, you hear worth the hype and you immediately think uh, that it's got to be trendy. Mm. And that's, that's not the case. If you look at the places we've been to, um, they're trendy, but they're also traditional. Uh, some of them are just takeaway spots. And uh, that was kind of the working title before Worth the Hype it was Triple T. <laughs> At oh, least no in my world. I was like, it's traditional trendy takeaway, Triple T. Let's do yeah. it. <laughs> uh, but I think that would have been a little too close to Triple D. So um, <laughs> even though we do take uh, inspiration from that show, absolutely. And we love it. Uh, I think we're hitting a, a, a wider swath of restaurant styles that are definitely more focused on uh, my age and younger. And Mm -hmm. um, yeah, but we don't shy away from a greasy spoon. Not at all. Yeah. Well, no, well, food's delicious in all, in all sorts of forms. Um, And it must be nice for you to kind of shift the spotlight a little bit from you to other chefs and their stories. So it's so hard to run a restaurant. Is there anything that you've learned from talking to all these chefs and restaurateurs about what makes for a successful bite? Yeah. You know, I think the formula is probably different for everybody, but what I've seen is the people that have allowed us into their restaurants and kitchens um, are extremely passionate, super hardworking and grateful of everything, what they have now, their customers that keep showing up, uh, and they know that if they drop the ball, it can kind of turn sour real quick. So it's sort of like a, only the paranoid survive situation, <laughs> but but then uh, feeling probably paranoia, they've somehow transformed it into gratitude. Uh, yeah, I, 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 I don't know what the formula is. It's one of the toughest businesses with the mm-hmm. slimmest margin, the most amount of like hard work, the yeah. easiest, um, you know, you can go one day to a place and, and uh, on a Monday, it's not as good as on a Wednesday. And, yeah. and then people are like, oh, so bad on Monday. That place is terrible. It's like, well, give them another shot. You know, normally like the A, the, the, like main A teams vacate a weekend is Monday, Tuesday. Mm-hmm. You know, so mm-hmm. Monday, Tuesday, eh, if you're going to try a place, unless it's like three star Michelin, that's probably the day where the, 
it just sinks just a little bit. And then Wednesday, all right, they're coming back from the weekend. Thursday, they're cranking. Friday, they're totally in the groove. Saturday, Sunday is actually Thursday, Friday. I'm getting way off topic here. <laughs> no, actually, I think you have a really good point. That makes complete sense. And no, you're right. People shouldn't just judge based on one experience because everyone has off days and and people are just too quick to uh, write bad reviews. So that's really harsh. I think I think our whole society could benefit from doing a little uh, service work. Mm-hmm. It's it's humbling. Um, it can be infuriating. And, and you have to just keep smiling. And even if you experience that for a month, it's going to make you a better diner. True, true. My daughter just started serving this summer and you can, I can totally see the complete 180, not 180, I shouldn't say 180, but just the light bulb that went off in her head um, being on the service side of things, which is pretty cool to see. Yeah. So as you're traveling the country, I'm sure you have some memorable road trip food memories growing up. Yeah, I was, uh, I grew up in the city, New York City, Manhattan, far west side, below Central Park. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember the whole family, you know, hopping in the car at 5 a.m. My dad would, you know, we'd drive up to Vermont. I don't know if we did it for like a weekend in the summer or what, but we went all seasons. I probably fell asleep in the car immediately because it was still dark when we left. But I, mm-hmm. but I remember, you know, waking up and then maybe having my eyes open for like an hour or two. Uh, and we'd always stop at an apple cider donut spot. And I just, I can smell them. I can taste them. I'll stop at any of them. I'm like, I have to do it. They're fun. They're cute. They're small. They're unique. Mm-hmm. They're always at the cider mills, which are fun in themselves to just see all those layers of corrugated I don't know what with apples that they just <laughs> press with a huge hydraulic thing and yeah. squeeze out that apple cider. That's an early food memory. My very first food memory is illegal, actually. Uh, yeah, it's illegal. Um, I'm the first of eight grandchildren. My brother's the second, and he's six years younger than me, so I kind of had the whole place to myself for a while. Uh, but my grandfather would, uh, you know, Italian American family. He had like he had a salamander in his kitchen to like broil stuff. Uh, Garland, I remember the brand. Wow. Um, he'd make these amazing dinners, and I just, uh, you know, he'd sit at the head with his four children and their spouses or girlfriends at the time, boyfriends. And uh, at the end of the dinner, I just, uh, no, no, can I have the coffee with the stuff in it? And then <laughs> he'd, he'd let me come over. I'd sit on his lap, and he'd. Um, you know, he'd have his espresso with it. Maybe it had a teaspoon of Sambuca in it. And then he would just give me a teaspoon of the whole thing. So I was probably getting one milliliter of it or less. Uh, <laughs> That's nothing. That, yeah, no, it definitely was not. Please. In the 50s, they put rum on kids' lips to make them be quiet or something, didn't they? They de- That was way more For teething. I think my dad used to tell me, I used to put whatever for when you were teething as a baby. But <laughs> there you go. But every time I taste that, it's like, boom. It's the, I don't know if it was because it was the most intense flavor I'd had at the moment, mm. but uh, yeah, it's wild. It just takes me right back there and my body shrinks down to 10 times smaller and Aww. it's like that ratatouille thing, you know? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Such a good movie. Um, it is. I love all the food memories and I love that you're able to share everyone's stories and um, what can we look forward to in the next, co- actually let's start with the season. What cities and restaurants can we look forward to? Cause you've got one episode that's out now and more to be released. So I, I don't know the exact order, but we have, uh, we did LA 
And we have San Diego, San Antonio, Austin, Manhattan, and Brooklyn. And all the spots were fun. San Diego, I got in a low rider with hydraulics. It was pretty hilarious. Um, we made like nitrite free hot dogs that tasted like steaks. Oh. I fed it to uh, Navy guys because there's a big base mm-hmm. there. And that was yep. fun. I talked to them for a long time. Um, I went on a rotating bar and like made cocktails in San Antonio. I, I went to a place called Curry Boys where they combine uh, Thai food with traditional uh, Texas barbecue. Yeah. You end up with, oh man, just like luscious brisket with green curry and rice, chili crisp, cilantro. Actually, oh. the weirdest thing this Saturday, I woke up, I opened my Instagram and it's like, Curry Boys are going to be at Hoodoo Brown Barbecue. I'm like, there's a Hoodoo 10 minutes from here. No I'm like, way. Campy. They were in my town. Get out. I spent five hours with them. It was it was amazing. I was like, Aww. you gotta give me. I was like, you gotta give me that dish again. And they had it. And uh, it was a two hour wait at one point. I started telling all my friends, which is kind of crazy for Connecticut barbecue. Good for them. Um, there's that. I mean, we, we went to Austin, Texas. I made sausages. I made biscuits in a food truck. Uh, Manhattan. I made ramen on a forty thousand dollar ramen machine. Wow! Um, I, I I shaped bagels at the hottest bagel place in the whole freaking country right now. That was so cool. And then I made a lot of pizzas at all my favorite pizzerias. And yeah, there's there's a lot. There's a lot. Well, the possibilities are endless. And then you can take it international as well. Are you listening, Tastemate? <laughs> um. Okay, I have to ask you this really quickly because I do. You're making me miss New York a lot. Um, I grew up there. So in terms of pizza, did you have a favorite after your Brooklyn episode? You know what? I, I'm, I'm really of the mentality that there's no best. There's ah. only this top tier of people that really, really care. And you can taste it in the food. Mm-hmm. I grew up with the Patsies on 117th and 1st. Uh, the, the son of the owner at the time went to school with me. So we were always going up there for birthday parties and whatnot. That's a coal-fired, thousand-degree oven. Um, it's a big, thin pie. It's dehydrated mozzarella. It is delicious. It is black on the bottom, but it's still malleable because the whole thing cooks in sixty seconds. Mm. The closest to that was Juliana's in our episode, mm-hmm. um, and Juliana's was started by Patsy Grimaldi, who is the nephew of Patsy Lancieri, who Patsy's on 117th and First is named after. <laughs> oh my God! It's a small <laughs> there's world. A whole, there's a whole pizza thing. <laughs> Um, I mean, I love that kind of slice, but again, like cuts and slices, I had a teriyaki salmon pizza that was so freaking good. And I've never had anything like that. And I had oxtail on a pizza. And then I went to a Neapolitan spot and I was, you know, making the big fluffy dough. Um, and I folded up portfolio, you know, portfolio. I've, yes, I do. You take the whole pizza and cut and in half and then half again. And it's almost like a crepe. Yeah. That was fun. I've, I've always wanted to do that. And Luca let me do it. (laughs) <laughs> okay i want your job <laughs> have you heard of provel cheese no I, I guess the mayor of st louis like told the dairy companies he wanted a cheese that had the same consistency when it's melted and when it's cold it's and so, oh yeah it's it's crazy um yeah so speedy romeo is another place we went to and they're using this new electric oven that gets to a thousand degrees it's made in sweden <laughs> which is nuts because now the city of New York wants the particulate matter down for these uh, wood fired ovens. So how do you get up to those temps? Uh, pizza master ovens are doing it. That is not a promotion wow. of pizza master, but it's hilarious that the Swedes are doing it. Um, I'm sure the Italians are doing it too. 
uh, America, are you listening? We need higher than 550 <laughs> degrees. Anyway, that Provel cheese is wild. It is, it is very interesting. So uh, yeah, it tastes like the most real fake cheese I've ever had, if that's a good description. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay, now I'm going to have to see if what I can do to find it. Provel. Okay. So real, most real fake cheese. Yeah. It's perfect for the vegans out there. <laughs> Except it's not vegan. Except it's not vegan. Oh, no. Oh, well. Uh, most real processed cheese. There you go. Okay. There you go. Okay. Well, I w and I'm really looking forward to watching the rest of the series and seeing where you end up. And I'm sure there's going to be a season two. So, yeah. Uh, before I let you go, I have some closing questions. Um, that I usually ask everybody. What's something that you make when you're too tired to cook and you need an emergency go-to dinner? Mm, it's pretty much always uh, spaghetti aglio aglio. And if I have frozen broccoli, I'll throw that in. And if I have <laughs> a lot of parsley, I'll chop that up and I'll do that. But uh, I will use the finest oil that I have, even though you're not <laughs> supposed to, to uh, effectively confit as many garlic slices as I feel comfortable slicing, which is usually the most pain in the neck part of that dish because your fingers get pretty sticky after about three yeah. cloves of garlic. And yep. that's kind of where I'm just like, enough of this. But uh, yeah, aglio, aglio, no cheese. Uh. If I've got stale bread, I'll put some breadcrumbs in there. It absorbs the oil a little, gives you, you know, an oil that sticks to the noodle a little bit better rather than an oil that drops to the bottom. Even if you cook it al dente, that oil just doesn't seem to want to absorb into the noodle unless you have like a seriously brass extruded $10 pasta shoota, which right. is not what I have when I'm making this dish. <laughs> I was just going to say, you have to pay up for the, the pasta if you're going to do that. Um, yeah. But that sounds really good. What's the one recipe that you treasure the most? Uh, I don't have one, but the dish that got me really, really going into cooking was uh, Amatriciana, Bucatini alla Amatriciana. And yeah, I had it at Lupa, which I ended up working at 15 years after I tried this. But I just remember I was like, I was like 13 years old or something. And I was like, I'll have penne pomodoro. And they're like, we don't have that. I'm like, I know, but they can make it. And they're like, but we're not going to do that for you. And I was like, what are you talking about? Every Italian restaurant makes me penne pomodoro, even though it's not on the menu. And they're oh, like, have the bucatini alla matriciana. And I was like, oh, fine, whatever. And they gave it to me and my mind exploded. And then I was on a 10-year quest to try to copy it. And I, I bought all the cookbooks and I couldn't figure it out. And uh, at the end of the day, you just need really good guanciale. Mm -hmm. you can't have crappy like nitrite free no it needs to be the good one that's it <laughs> that's, yeah. that's the secret there is the, yeah good for them for sticking to their thing and not making i know the other dish for you so. yeah. <laughs> um are you messy or neat in the kitchen when you're not I on camera i go i'm super neat i'm constantly wiping <laughs> yeah <laughs> Except for if I'm doing a live stream, because then it's like I'm taking, to, you know, then I, yeah. I just, I'm constantly pushing things to the left so that it looks clean. And then afterwards, I'm like, is this what it's like for people that don't clean along the way? Because this is Probably. a nightmare. Yeah. When I'm done <laughs> cleaning, it's like all I have to do is the pots. Uh, goals. You know? Sorry, I wish I was like that. Not when I'm done cleaning. Yeah. <laughs> um, what's a good kitchen tip that you can share? Um, that you don't need any smart appliances and you don't need any fancy tools. What you need to do is put in the work to be uh, strategic with your ingredient inventory management. Mm. Um, more than 30% of American groceries go directly in the garbage. As you mm -hmm. know, food costs are extremely high uh, all over the world, but I, I think food is the third or fourth largest expense after 
you know, housing, housing, and yeah, health insurance. Although health insurance might be on par with food. Mm. Um, so if you're throwing thirty percent of your groceries away, you could theoretically be saving that amount of money if you used everything. So uh, don't buy another gadget. Uh, keep lists. Take inventory every five days until you know until Amazon comes along and solves this problem for us with <laughs> artificial intelligence. And uh, I know they will. Wow. Yeah. You never know. Smart fridges are getting really smart too. So, but that's so true. Good tip. Um, every week I try to share five little things with my audience. Something that made me smile. Is there anything that was good this week for you? Um, my wife, uh, found a very large frog yesterday and to save him from being in a chlorinated situation. And then he kept jumping back in. It was like, he was like playing with us. It was like a 20 minute thing. Um, (laughs) and so that made me laugh. And, uh, it also made me realize that like, we're not the only playful ones. Yeah. He wanted to go swimming. <laughs> I know. <laughs> it was odd. I guess. Well, Frankie, thank you so much for spending time with me. Where can everyone find you and watch Worth the Hype? Well, you can go to tastemade.com slash live. And there's a page there that shows you all the services that carry the Tastemade streaming channel. Mm-hmm. And my guess is chances are you probably already have one of them. So, so go there first. Um, and then if you do have the channel, we're on uh, seven o'clock, six Eastern, uh, every Wednesday struggle meals is at the same time on Thursdays. And I'm at Frankie cooks, Frankie, I E pretty much across all things. But uh, I think everybody wants to know Liren, what made you smile this week? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, you know what? It was my anniversary and my daughter was home from college. And so it was a really nice time to just have the whole family together. So thank you for asking. You're very welcome. Did she use her new uh, serving skills to make it even more special? No, actually, I was the one cooking for her because she was like, I really miss. She wanted something Filipino. So she's like, can you please make bansiet, which is the rice noodle dish? Yep. So I served her. (laughs) I just basically cooked the whole time that she was here just because I really wanted to make the most of it. So. Yeah. Well, I know that feeling. That's amazing what you uh, <laughs> and all moms do. And it's like, I remember, yeah. I was in Italy once for like a year and I came home and I'm like, mom, I just want steamed broccoli for a week. <laughs> and she obliged. Really? Oh, that's Yeah, so I nice. just really needed to clean it out. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good way to clean the system out after indulging. Yeah. And, you know, who's going to argue with a kid who wants broccoli? So. Hey, yeah. broccoli is underrated. It's my favorite cruciferous vegetable. It's quite yeah. delicious. It is good. Well, Frankie, thank you so much. I cannot wait to watch everything and keep in touch. Thank you for having me. And that was uh, super fun. Thanks, everybody. After chatting with Frankie, I'm ready to pack my bags, hit the road and eat my way through a city. I'm always in LA, so I've already added those restaurants to my to eat list. Do you keep a list too? If not, I highly recommend starting one. It makes travel delicious. Don't forget to tune into new episodes of Worth the Hype every Wednesday on the Tastemade streaming channel and catch Frankie on his adventures. I'm so glad you could join us on this episode. If you enjoyed the show, please take a moment to rate it and share it with a friend and join us again next time. Until then, happy cooking. Happy cooking.